1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 1 to 11. If any of you has a dispute with another, dare he take it before the ungodly for judgment instead of before the saints? Do you not know that the saints will judge the world? And if you were to judge the world, are you not competent to judge trivial cases? Do you not know that we will judge angels? How much more the things of this life? Therefore, if you have disputes about such matters, appoint as judges even men of little account in the church. I say this to shame you. Is it possible that there is nobody among you wise enough to judge a dispute between believers? But instead, one brother goes to law against another, and this in front of the unbelievers. The very fact that you have lawsuits among you means that you have been completely defeated already. Why not rather be wronged? Why not rather be cheated? Instead, you yourselves cheat and do wrong, and you do this to your brothers. Do you not know that the wicked will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor male prostitutes, nor homosexual offenders, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor slanderers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And that is what some of you were. But you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. Okay, well, let's um, come before the Lord God in a time of prayer as we come to consider this text, important passage. Lord God, thank you for your goodness in uh, giving us a word from yourself. We pray that you'd help us to appreciate what's being written here by the Apostle Paul, your Apostle, and we pray you'd help us to understand it uh, and be willing to uh, be obedient to you as we think about applying it in our lives. We pray for this in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> well, have you ever noticed uh, that media makes a lot of uh, conflict between people and that people seem to be interested in and drawn into a conflict between two parties? Uh, those of you who have watched soap operas, I'm thinking a bit about uh, Home and Away. I used to watch a bit of that when I was a kid. Notice that there's um, always large doses of conflict that are between the actors to try and draw in the viewers so that they can stay tuned in and find out next week important questions like, did Alf really slash Don's tyres? Or was it a giant rat that ate through them instead? Such important things. It seems that conflict will actually get the viewers in. But I've also noticed that conflict between people uh, seems to sell newspapers as they uh, promote the nitty-gritty that's between people's lives, uh, papers seem to sell more. And when Christians are involved, it appears that the stakes get higher, as uh, a lot of people like to be able to use that word hypocrite to uh, talk about the Christians. Well, last week, uh, Scott referred to a church in Sydney that was in the paper for its leadership dealing with a parishioner over issues associated with that member's treatment of women in their church. This is uh, some of the headlines that, we've seen that have been in the, the newspapers about that. Pastor's ban sparks unholy Anglican stoush. A parishioner who says he's been wrongly exiled has placed his faith in the Supreme Court 
writes Sean Nicholas. Uh, we find out that this parishioner is suing the church. Uh, Mr Haddon is suing Mr Steele and church councillor and 10, Network 10 journalist Evan Batten for defamation over an email sent in February 2008 saying it made him out to be a sexual predator. Uh, and so the leadership, uh, Mr Steele and Mr Batten, had to front the Supreme Court and spoke to Justice Carolyn Simpson. This was what uh, Mr Steele said. Worried that Mr Hatton wasn't giving female parishioners a safe place to worship, uh, Mr Steele told Justice Carolyn Simpson he had spoken to him to get him to tone down his conduct. Well, that really escalated, and it's um, something that you can Google search and is really what uh, Paul's grappling with in many ways this week. When is it appropriate to go to, ch- go to court? Uh, and what's happened if, if the believers have to take each other to court? Well, this topic's getting dealt with, um, of the topic of you know, going, to church, uh, going to court with, against other believers is getting dealt with under a broader topic of holiness within the church. Uh, 1 Corinthians was written to encourage Christians to be holy. We see that at the start of the book. Paul writes in 1 verse 2, to the church of God in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ, which means set apart as God's special ones, and called to be holy. And so we here have a challenge for God's people to be fit to serve God, to live his way. And last week we saw that holiness was uh, dealt with in a very specific way as Scott spoke to us from chapter 5 in a section that dealt with uh, sexual behaviour and holiness in that regard. In that section, uh, the Apostle Paul challenged the Christians to put out of their fellowship anybody who was unrepentant uh, in persistent sin in sexual areas. In their case, it had been a, a man who was sleeping with someone who seemed to be his stepmother, his father's wife. But by calling the church to action, to actually expel this person, uh, that actually raised the topic of the church being able to make judgments. Paul says not judgments uh, on this world or the people of this world. Uh, He says in verse 12, What business is it of mine to judge those outside the church? And follows up by saying that there is a place for the church to make judgments. He says, Are you not to judge those inside? Verse 13, God will judge those outside. Expel the wicked man from among you. And so this leads naturally into a section now where Paul talks about the role of the church in making judgments on trivial matters. But Paul seems to think that this is a very sad situation for the church to be in when one believer is going to law against another believer. We see that in 6 verse 6. One brother goes to law against another. It's a sad situation when uh, the Christians were, instead of resolving things, trivial matters amongst themselves, they would use Roman law. The Romans were famous for their Roman roads, which could get people around the empire, but they were also famous for Roman law. And so it seems that some of the Christians were heading down that path. But what was the issue that they were actually uh, going to law against each other on? Well, we don't know a lot about it. We know that... uh, They would have known what the issue was, and Paul would have known. But all we get is in verse uh, 7 and 8. It says, Why not rather be wronged? 
Why not rather be cheated? Instead, you yourselves cheat, or other translations have defraud and do wrong, and you do this to your brothers. So we don't really know exactly what the topic of uh, the law cases, the lawsuits was about, but it seems to involve uh, cheating. And these things are described as trivial cases in verse 2, or the things of this life, or ordinary life, ordinary matters. So they're not, we're not dealing with murder cases and that kind of thing. But Paul sees that there's a problem with the church for this situation to arrive. And he makes the case that they should have been a different kind of community, a more godly one. You see that in verse 7. The very fact that you have lawsuits among you means you've been completely defeated already. I can remember a time at General Assembly when that verse was quoted. Uh, A few years ago there was a businessman, a very wealthy businessman, who uh, decided that he didn't like how some things were being organised in his church. And so he escalated an issue uh, that made its way all the way to the General Assembly. And he decided to bring along his uh, lawyer, paid a lawyer to come along with him. And the General Assembly was then had to figure out whether they were going to admit this paid lawyer to actually deal with this case. And I can remember at that time a, a man called Reverend Dr Peter Barnes, he got up and quoted this passage and pointed out that for the church to get to this stage where they're paying a lawyer to come in and deal with it, uh, they've already lost something. Paul says here that to have lawsuits among you means you've been completely defeated already. And so Peter Barnes made the case that uh, for it to get to this stage, it's already bad enough. We, we shouldn't perpetuate the process. Uh, and he argued that we should reject the proposal of having a paid lawyer in that context uh, to uphold these biblical principles. But a bit close to home, though, uh, it's, it's good for us to ask, what is our church like? Have we been defeated or lost something in this area? I'm not aware of uh, any cheating or defrauding of each other that's been happening uh, in our church, like it was probably happening in Corinth. But the possibility to rip each other off in, say, commercial dealings does remain an open possibility, doesn't it? And it's something that could happen, unless we're watchful. But more than likely, uh, it can go the other way too, can't it? Sometimes uh, people who want to get a good deal can approach a, a Christian brother or sister and try to use some emotional blackmail to maybe get some mate's rates uh, or a, a special deal. If somebody who's a Christian brother wants to give mates rates, well, that's their business. But I don't think it's the spirit of Christianity to start demanding that as a Christian brother we should get mates rates. Uh, I think that would be a good example of blackmailing, emotional blackmailing, and, uh, and doing the wrong thing. And so these sorts of uh, matters could come up in our congregation and we need to be watchful that we're actually uh, doing unto others as we would have them do to us. Finally, uh, well, secondly rather, in point B of your outline, I'm noting that this is a problem for the church at Corinth because they should have been able to handle these trivial cases. I'll read from uh, chapter 6, verse 1 through to 4. If any of you has a dispute with another, dare he take it before the ungodly for judgment instead of before the saints? Do you not know that the saints will judge the world? 
And if you were to judge the world, are you not competent to judge trivial cases? Do you not know that we will judge angels? How much more the things of this life? Therefore, if you have disputes about such matters, appoint as judges even men of little account in the church. According to Paul, the church and God's people look forward to having a far greater responsibilities than dealing with little trivial matters. Uh, this idea that the, the saints or God's people will judge the world is a, a theme that comes from Daniel chapter 7, where judgment was given to the saints of the Most High in Daniel uh, 7 verse 27. And God's people, in other words, are set in authority over the world. Uh, we get the idea in the New Testament that uh, we reign with Christ, we're brothers with Christ, we're co-heirs with Christ. And in Revelation chapter 3, verse 21, Jesus says, To him who overcomes, I'll give the right to sit with me on my throne. Uh, later in Revelation, the uh, four living creatures and 24 elders sing a new song about Jesus. You are worthy to t take the scroll and open its seals because you were slain, and with your blood you purchased men for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. So Jesus has purchased us, and it says, You have made them to be a kingdom and priests, to serve our God, and they will reign on the earth. So Paul's picking up this idea that uh, in the kingdom of God we'll reign with Christ. And it's in view of that, that responsibility uh, it's hard for us to grapple with these heavenly concepts, but it's in view of that responsibility, Paul's saying, right, even now, uh, now's the time to start practising, if you like, and start trying trivial cases or ordinary cases. Uh, one commentator puts it like this, they'll, they'll be judges of the world, no less, yet they're not capable of acting as justices of the peace in a tiny backstreet courtroom. Further, Paul's concerned that this church, this is um, the point about the wise in Corinth, he's concerned that this church is, doesn't have anybody that's of, of an ilk or a quality that can actually deal with these disputes in any case. Uh, we've seen how it seems people have been impressed by those with wise and eloquent words. Uh, and those those people who had the wise and eloquent words might have knocked Paul as an apostle. But here Paul's kind of having a go back and sort of saying, well, is it that... I'll pick it up on verse 4. Therefore, if you have disputes about such matters, appoint judges, even men of little account in the church. I say this to shame you, verse 5. Is it possible that there is nobody among you wise enough to judge a dispute between believers? So he's saying, well... There's a, you know, a value of these wise, eloquent people, but isn't there anybody to even be able to sort these disputes out? Well, the Corinthians might have got themselves into that position, uh, but a question closer to home is, how should we go about sorting out our differences? How does our church fare on that score? Do we have anybody here that's wise enough to, dis to sort out disputes uh, between ourselves and sort out differences? 
Well, I'm not trying to drum up business here, by the way. I don't think we should um, put it to the test. Um, but I'd like to think that because we're a church that's committed to the principles of Matthew chapter 18, whereby we encourage people to go and sort things out, uh, first of all, one to another, and then if there's a struggle to perhaps take somebody else, as Jesus teaches us, and that might be an elder to help sort things out, uh, and there is scope also to tap into Christian organisations that help mediate between people as well. It doesn't have to go to the local civil court to get resolved. Uh, although if, as Scott spoke about church discipline, if there is a persistent unrepentant sin, um, that issue would come to your attention uh, so that collectively we could uh, call someone to turn back. But because Paul says that... The church should judge trivial matters and that there should be some people mature enough to be able to do that it doesn't mean that he's ruling out all circumstances in when in which people could go to court i say that because he already endorses governing authorities in romans chapter 13 paul says that christians ought to submit to the governing authorities he describes them in uh, 13 verse 4 as god's servant and agent agent of wrath to bring punishment on the wrongdoer. Uh, for example, if there was a murder committed, we're obliged to uh, notify the police and uh, bring that kind of matter to the governing authorities to bring punishment on the wrongdoer. But what Paul seems to be focused on here in this passage is really uh, looking to deal with non-dealing with trivial matters. The option of going to courts is open for issues that aren't trivial. Also, we see that Paul recognises that the lawsuits between believers is a problem for their witness, and that's point C in your outline. Their witness is spoiled in verse 6, but instead one brother goes to law against another, and this in front of unbelievers... Well, they've already had some shame brought upon them because of the kind of sexual immorality that was occurring there in their church that was a, of a kind uh, that didn't even occur among the pagans. And so they're already looking like their standards are, are worse than community standards. And now they're in the, the courts and it's bringing their witness and the credibility uh, into disrepute. And so he's, he's letting them know that they need to think about their witness. And again, for us, this is a, a good question for us, isn't it? To think about uh, how our witness in the community is as well and to be mindful of the way that we deal with disputes or issues between ourselves will be something that can spill over into the community. And this is a fairly good application point to mine. Uh, it's good for us to think about how we live and, and the fact that that's actually... Uh, an issue for for God that we how we live uh, we we recognise the world will see and make its judgments upon us uh, and so we should be I guess praying that God will help us to uh, not only resolve things well between each other but also uh, to live lives which are salt and light so that God is honoured. Well, in the last part of this passage, Paul rounds it off by. Uh, reminding the believers in Corinth and also us of two things, really a warning and a message of comfort. He picks up the 
warning in verse 9 and 10. He says, Do you not know that the wicked will not inherit the kingdom of God? Don't be deceived, neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor male prostitutes, nor homosexual offenders, nor thieves, the greedy, nor drunkards, nor slanderers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. Now, some people might think, oh, well, I'm a, I'm a Christian, that, that can't apply to me, I'm safe. But I don't think Paul includes this passage as something that's merely hypothetical. I think it's included by God because he wants us to take this warning seriously. If a person thinks that they can live in sin unrepentantly and that all's well, the message here is pretty blunt. Do not be deceived. You won't inherit the kingdom of God if you live that way. And it's true that Christians do fall into sin from time to time. Week after week we come here and meet together and confess our sins to the Lord God. Uh, we're not denying sin. But the difficulty is if um, people live in it and they don't repent. But instead, God calls us to the path of repentance and faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, and he calls us not to live in sin with a heavy hand. And for those who do head down that path and who do repent, there is assurance that is given that they will inherit the kingdom of God. And that's where this last part comes in, which is quite comforting and a good reminder week after week. In verse 11, Paul says, And that is what some of you were, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. Here we're getting the idea with these words being washed is the idea that we're forgiven. To be sanctified means we're now set apart as God's special people. And to be justified means we're declared righteous by God on account of the work of Jesus. These are good things to remember, isn't it? That even though we are sinful people, we can stand before God in his grace and remember that we are forgiven, that we can be free from guilt uh, because we have a saviour. And may God help us to be people who continue to repent from our sin, not to be uh, living in it uh, and to enjoy standing in his grace with that, that assurance that comes to those who trust him that they are right with him and will reign with the Lord Jesus forever. Well, let's close in a word of prayer. Our Lord God, we do give you thanks that you have washed us, that we enjoy your forgiveness of sins that comes through our Lord Jesus Christ. Father, we thank you that you've um, set us apart to live as your people and to live our lives for your glory. And Father, we give you thanks for declaring us righteous through the work of Jesus. Father, we pray for wisdom in the way that we live. We ask you to help us to be mindful of our lives before folk who aren't believers in Christ. We pray for our witness to you in the world. And Lord, we ask for wisdom uh, and courage to do the right thing when it comes to dealing with our differences between each one of us, that we do that in a godly way, that, as you've shown us in, in the Bible. And Father, we pray that uh, difficulties wouldn't spill over from our church uh, into the world, into the courts, we pray instead that uh, we'd be able to sort differences out, sort out the, the trivial matters. 
Father, we pray for these things and pray for your help to to press on in the right way. Um, we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.